I'd hit him with Embracer, a point-blank martial arts skill. It took every last bit of Coradiel's remaining HP. The skinny body shook violently, then slumped over, powerless. I heard the greatsword clatter to the ground, then a hoarse whisper in my ear. Why, you, murderer. A chuckle. And Coradiel's entire existence turned to glass shards. With a cold burst, the polygons exploded outward, knocking me to the ground. For a while, my consciousness numb, the only sound was the wind blowing across the field. Eventually, I heard uneven footsteps over the gravel. I looked up and saw a frail figure, stumbling toward me, her face empty. Asuna plodded several steps closer, face downward, then slumped to her knees like a puppet whose strings had been cut. She extended her hand toward me, then shrank back, just before it touched. I'm sorry, it's my fault, this is all my fault. The look on her face was heartbreaking. Tears filled her large eyes, sparkling like jewels, then fell. Finally, I managed to rasp one word out of my parched throat. Asuna. I'm sorry, I, I don't have the right, to even, see you in him. I desperately raised myself from the ground, finally in control of my body again. The damage I'd suffered still left an unpleasant numbness, but I could at least extend my right and severed left arm to Asuna. I plugged her beautiful pink lips with my own. She stiffened and tried to use her hands to push me away, but I held tightly to her slender body with all my strength. It was certainly enough to set off the anti-harassment code. At this moment, she would be seeing a system message warning of my AC tie-ins, and with the push of a button, she could have me instantly teleported to the prison in Black Iron Palace. But I didn't let my arms slack an inch, moving from her lips, to nuzzle her cheek. I buried my face into her neck and murmured, My life belongs to you, Asuna. I'm all yours. We'll be together. Until the final moment. My left arm was still in a severed state and wouldn't return for three minutes, but I held it around her back anyway. Asuna let out a trembling breath and then whispered back to me. I promise, I promise I'll protect you, too. I'll be here for you. Forever. Just don't leave me. She didn't need to say any more. I held Asuna tightly, listening. To her breathing. Bit by bit, the warmth of her body thawed the ice within me. 16. The entire time that Asuna had waited back in Granzam, she had been following my location on her map. According to her, she'd started running out of town when she saw Godfrey's marker disappear, which meant that, in barely five minutes, she had covered the three miles it took us an hour to walk. It was an impossible number, faster than the agility stat. Boost could explain. When I pointed this out, she smiled and said, It was an act of love. We returned to Guild Headquarters, reported what had happened to Heathcliff, and applied for temporary leave. Asuna cited her lack of trust in the Guild, and after a momentary silence, Heathcliff accepted her request. But at the end, he gave that strange smile again and added cryptically, You'll be back on the 
battlefield soon enough. Outside of the tower, it was already growing dark. We walked to the teleport gate holding hands. Neither of us spoke a word. With the orange light of the sun hitting our backs, we walked slowly through the black silhouettes of Granzam's many towers. I absently wondered where Coradiel's bottomless hate had come from. It wasn't that rare for players to commit wicked deeds in SAO. It was said that there were several hundred criminals in the game, from thieves and bandits to those like Coradiel and Laugh ING Coffin, who brutally slaughtered their victims. At this point, they were considered a natural feature of the game, much like monsters. But the more I thought about it, the stranger it seemed. It was obvious that anyone who intentionally caused harm to other players was working to the detriment of our shared quest to beat the game. Their actions suggested that they didn't want to leave. But when I thought about Coradiel, he didn't seem to fit that definition. His thoughts had nothing to do with escaping the game or preventing others from doing so. He represented an absence of thought, a man who had stopped pondering the past or future, allowed his own desires to rule him, and fostered the will of evil. What did that make me? I couldn't honestly state that my entire purpose within the game was to defeat it. If anything, I was exploring dungeons and gaining levels out of simple inertia, not ing else. If the only reason I fought was to know the pleasure of being better than others, did I truly wish for the game to be over? I suddenly sensed that the metal plate under my feet was low's ing balance and sinking, so I stopped walking. I gripped as soon as hand harder, as though fighting to stay attached. I glanced at Asuna for an instant and saw her peering quizzy Callie at me, her head tilted. I turned back to the ground and Mutt teared more to myself than to her. No matter what happens, I'm going to send you back, too. The real world. This time, she squeezed my hand. We'll go back together. She smiled. We eventually reached the teleport gate square. Only a few. Players milled about, hunched over in the chill winds that sug just the coming of winter. I turned straight to Asuna. The warm light that shone from her powerful soul was meant to guide me. Asuna, I want to spend the night with you, I said unconsciously. I didn't want to be apart from her. I just faced the threat of death like never before, and that Paul was unlikely to leave my spine anytime soon. I would see them in my dreams tonight, if I slept at all, his madness, the stabbing sword, the feeling of my hand sinking into flesh. I was sure of that. Asuna looked at me wide-eyed, seemingly grasping the mean ing of my statement, and eventually gave a small nod, her cheeks flushing. Asuna's apartment in Selmberg was just as luxurious on my SEC on visit, and it had a welcoming warmth to it. The decorative objects placed here and there spoke highly of the owner's excellent taste, but when Asuna saw them, she stammered. Oh, oh my gosh, it's such a mess. I haven't been home in a while. She giggled nervously and started stashing things away. I'll get started on dinner. You can read the newspaper or something. Um, okay. She removed her equipment and disappeared into the kitchen. 
with an apron while I sank into the comfortable sofa. I picked up a large bundle of paper on top of the table. Calling it a newspaper was a bit disingenuous. It was really just a collection of stories cobbled together by players who made a living gathering information and selling it as news. But with no real form of entertainment in Aincrad, this was a precious bit of media, and more than a few players bought subscriptions. I picked up the four-page paper, gazed absently at the front, then threw it aside in disgust. The front story was my duel with Heathcliff. Dual blades wielder unveiled, mercilessly crushed by holy sword, the headline screamed, with a helpful picture of me, taken with a special recording crystal, lying prostrate before the triumphant Heathcliff. All I'd done was help add another entry to his legend. On the other hand, if this cemented the public's opinion that I was no big deal, it would help deflect attention, I told myself. I flipped to the item marketplace listings, and eventually a fragrant smell wafted out of the kitchen. Dinner was steak from one of Aincrad's cattle-like monsters, topped with a Suna's special soy sauce. The meat itself wasn't a particularly high rank, as such things go, but the sauce did all the work. Asuna smiled as she watched me stuffing my face. After dinner, we sat facing each other on her sofas, drinking tea. She was being unusually talkative, rattling off her favorite weapon brands and places she'd like to sightsee on various floors of the castle. I mostly listened absent-mindedly, letting her do all the talking, but when Asuna suddenly fell silent, I couldn't help but be concerned. She stared down into her cup, as though looking for something in the tea. Her face was a steely mask, as if she were preparing for battle. H, hey, what's row? She set her teacup down on the table with a clatter before I could finish. Okay. Asuna braced herself and stood up. She walked over to the window, touched the wall, to bring up the room options and then immediately turned out the lanterns in the corners. The room was plunged into darkness. My search skill automatically blazed into life, switching my eyesight to night vision mode. Now the room was colored a faint blue, with Asuna shining brightly at the window, reflecting the lights of the town. I was confused, but held my breath at the beauty of the sight. Her long hair looked dark blue in the gloom, and the slender white of her arms and legs, extending from the tunic shone as if they were producing the light by themselves. Asuna stood silently at the window. She was hunched over, so I couldn't see her face. When she drew her left hand to her chest, she appeared to be grappling with some inner decision. Just when I was about to say something, to ask what was going on, she moved. With a small ping, she traced her finger in the air and drew open her status window. Her hands moved over the glowing purple options in the blue darkness. It seemed from here, like she was manipulating her equipment. And in the next instant, the knee-high sock she was wearing disappeared without a sound, exposing the slender curse of her legs. Her fingers moved again. This time, her entire one-piece tunic was gone. My mouth dropped open and my eyes were wide. 
She was wearing nothing but her underwear now. Tiny little. Slips of white cloth that barely covered her breasts and hips. Jay just don't stare, okay, she stammered, her voice trembling. As if it was that easy to tear my eyes away. She crossed her arms in front of her body and fidgeted, but eventually looked up and gracefully lowered her arms. I felt a shock as though my soul had just escaped my body. Beauty wasn't the right word for it. Her smooth, shining skin was clad in particles of blue light. Her hair was the finest silk. The swelling of her breasts was more ample than it had originally seemed. The flesh of her slender hips and long legs was as tight as a wild animal's. Paradoxically, her curvature was so perfect that it couldn't have been rendered in any graphics engine. This was not a finely modeled 3D object. If anything, it was a sculpture that God himself had filled with a soul. Our bodies in SAO were semi-automatically generated with data the nerve gear gathered when we logged in and ran the Kali Bradion process for the very first time. Given that, it was nothing. Short of a miracle that such a beautiful body should exist in the game. I stared and stared at her half-naked figure, my mind blank. If she never got tired, put her hands back up, or spoke to me, I would have stared in silence for an entire hour. She looked down and blushed so hard that I could see it in the blue darkness. Gigo on, you, too, are you G going to embarrass me? Finally, at long last, I understood what Asuna was doing. When I'd told her that I wanted to spend the night together, she'd interpreted it beyond the literal meaning. The instant I realized what was happening, my mind fell into a deep panic. I'd just made the biggest mistake of my life. Ah. No, that's not what I, I didn't mean it like, I only meant, that I w wanted to sleep in the same room, that's, all. Wah. I spilled my train of thought in an embarrassingly straightforward manner, and now it was Asuna's turn to be blank-faced. Soon enough, it turned into a mixture of absolute shame and rage. Why, you? I could see the lethal intent she fused into her clenched fist. Idiot. Asuna's punch burst forward at my face with the full assis tance of her agility stat, but just before it could connect... The system's anti-crime code kicked in, sending deafening echoes and purple sparks around the room. Ah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, forget that last part. I waved my arms desperately and tried to explain before. Asuna could ready another blow. I'm sorry. It was my fault. I, I mean, besides, can you even do that? In SAO. She finally dropped out of her fighting stance, but the look of burning rage and exasperation on her face did not change. Why you didn't know? I didn't know. She proceeded in a small voice, her face suddenly shifting from anger to embarrassment. If you dig deep in the options, there's a moral code removal setting. I had no idea. There certainly wasn't anything like that in the beta, nor in the manual. This was a very unexpected way to pay. The price for not caring about anything but fighting while I was in. Saw. But this revelation led to another suspicion. Before my better. 
Sense could intervene, I spoke it out loud. Does that mean, you've done this beefo? Her fist exploded in my face again. Oh, of course I haven't. I found out about it from someone in. The guild. I hastily prostrated myself and apologized over and over. It took several minutes to defuse the situation. A single tiny candle placed on the table was the only thing that lit. As soon as she lay in my arms, I traced the pale skin of her back with a finger. Just that warm, smooth sensation coming through. My fingertips was pure intoxication. As soon as eyes opened slightly, batted several times, and she smiled at me. Sorry, did I wake you? Mim, I was dreaming. Of the old world, it's weird. She rested her face against my chest, still smiling. In my dream, I got so worried. I was afraid that everything about Aincrad, and the fact that I met you here, was a dream of its own. I'm glad it didn't turn out to be that way. That's weird. Don't you want to leave? I do, I do. But I don't want to lose the time I've spent here. We've come a really long way, but these two years are very important to me. I realize that now. She looked serious for a moment, then took my hand off her shoulder and held it to her chest. I'm sorry, Carito, it should have been me who finished that fight. I sucked in a quick breath, then let it out, slowly. No, Coradiel went after me, and I was the one who drove him to do what he did, that was my battle. I stared into Asuna's eyes and gave a slow nod. Her hazel eyes were faintly brimming with tears. She raised my hand to her lips. I could feel their gentle touch. I'll be there to help bear what you bear. We'll carry it together. I promise. No matter what happens, I'll be there to protect you. Those were the words. The words that I'd never been able to utter up to this point. And now, my lips trembling, the words came tumbling out of my throat, out of my soul. And I, the faint sounds barely pushed the air, will be there to protect you. It was so tiny, so doubtful, so unconvincing. I couldn't help but grimace, and then I squeezed her hand back. You're strong, Asuna. Much stronger than me. She blinked at this, then smiled. That's not true. In the other world, I was always the type to hide behind someone else. I didn't even buy this game for myself. She giggled, remembering something. My brother bought it and had to go on a work trip, so I got to try it out on the very first day. It was so hard for him to leave. Without it, and now I've been hogging it for two years. I bet he's so angry. It seemed to me like she'd gotten the worst side of that deal, but I nodded in agreement. You need to get back and say you're sorry. Yeah, I've got my work cut out for me. But those brave words came mumbled, and she looked away. Nervously. Asuna squeezed her entire body against me. Hey, Carido. I realize this contradicts what I just said, but, do. You think maybe we should leave the front lines for a bit? Huh. I'm just scared, we've finally connected in this powerful way, and I can't help but feel like going back into battle will lead to 
some terrible thing happening, maybe I'm just tired of this. I brushed her hair with my fingers and was surprised to find myself agreeing with her. Good point, I'm tired, too. You didn't need dwindling stat numbers to notice that day. After day of stressful combat took its toll. Especially when it involved extreme shock like today. Even the strongest bowstring will snap if you keep pulling on it. A little rest was necessary. Sometimes. I could feel the impulse that drove me to battle, something. That felt a bit like peril, drifting further away. All I wanted to do. Right now was be with this girl, to grow closer together. I put both arms around her and buried my face in her silken. Hair. There's a nice place down in the southwest region of floor. 22. Lots of forests and lakes, no monsters. There's a tranquil little village there. Couple of log cabins available to buy. Let's move down there. And then. When I paused to find the right words, Asuna turned her. Sparkling eyes to me. And then. I forced my stubborn tongue to continue. L, let's get married. I'll never forget the smile she gave me then. Okay. One large tear rolled down her cheek as she nodded. 17. There are four kinds of system-defined player relationships within Sword Art Online. First, complete strangers. Second is friends. Friends Regis tiered on the friend list are able to send simple text messages to each other, as well as search for their locations on the map. The third category is guild members. In addition to the previous functions, teaming up with guildmates in battle gives each member a slight experience bonus. The downside of that is that a certain percentage of all call earned must be subtracted for the guild's coffers. Asuna and I already met the friend and guildmate criteria, but by temporarily leaving the guild, we filled its place with the fourth and final category. That was marriage, though it's a far simpler and less ceremonial step than you might think. One person sends a proposal MES Sage to the other, and if it is accepted, boom, you're married. The consequences, however, are far greater than a simple friend or guild request. At the most basic level, marriage in SAO means the sharing of all information and items. You can observe your spouse's status screen at any time and all items are pulled into a shared inventory. It exposes one's most potent vulnerabilities to another person, which means that in Aincrad, where betrayal and deception are rife, very few couples reach marriage. The abysmal gender ratio doesn't help either. The 22nd floor of Aincrad was one of the most sparsely populated in the castle. As it was closer to the bottom of the egg-like structure, it had a wide area, but the majority of it was COV aired with thick forests and countless lakes. The largest form of civilization to be found was a tiny village. There were no monsters in the wilderness, and the labyrinth was easy, so the entire floor had been cleared in just three days, and few players bothered to remember it. Asuna and I bought a little log cabin in the middle of the forest and settled in. Even a small house in SAO was no simple matter to purchase, however. Asuna offered to sell her apartment in 
Selmberg, but I strongly objected, it would have been an incredibly waste to get rid of such a perfect place, so we raised the funds. By selling off all of our rare valuables with Agile's help. Agile looked disappointed that we were leaving. He offered us the use of his upstairs at any time, but a general store was a rather unromantic place for a honeymoon. Plus, just the thought of the uproar that would ensue if word got out that a celebrity like Asuna was married gave me the chills. A lonely place like the 22nd floor would buy us plenty of time to relax in peace. Ooh, the view is nice. Asuna leaned out of the south-facing window in the bedroom. For what it was worth, the cabin only had two rooms. She was right about the view. Because we were close to the outer perimeter, we had an expansive slice of the sky hanging over the leafy trees and sparkling lakes. Given that most of the time, life in Aincrad meant having a lid of stone looming a few hundred feet above your head, the sense of liberation that came with being so close to the sky was breathtaking. Just because we have a nice view doesn't mean you should get too close to the edge and fall over. I stopped sorting our household items for a moment and put my arms around Asuna from behind. The thought that she was now my wife filled me with the warmth of the winter sun, as well as an unfamiliar sensation much like surprise, the knowledge that I'd come so far in my time here. Until I became a prisoner of this world, I was a mere child, live ing a circular route of home and school, with no great ambitions. But the real world was a long-lost relic of the distant past now. Beating this game and getting back to the real world should be my goal, Asuna's goal, every player's goal, but the thought of it actually happening made me worry. I clenched Asuna tighter. That hurts, Carito, what's wrong? Uh, sorry. Hey, Asuna, I clammed up for a moment, but I had to ask. Is this just inside the game? Us, I mean, is it something that's going to vanish when we return to the real world? Are you trying to get me angry? She spun around, pure emo tie and burning in her eyes. Even if this were a normal game and we weren't stuck inside it, I don't fall in love for fun. She squished my face in her hands. There's one thing I've learned here, never give up until the end. If we get back to the real world, I'll find you again, and I'll fall in love with you again. How many times had I been amazed at Asuna's strength? Or was it just a sign of how weak I was in comparison? In any case, I'd forgotten how good it could feel to rely on someone else, to let them be your support. I didn't know how long we'd be here, but hopefully, as long as we were away from battle, I let my mind wander, my arms full of gentle warmth and a sweet scent. 18. The float sitting on the surface of the lake didn't even twitch. The more I watched the gentle light reflect off the still surface, the sleepier I felt, I yawned wide and pulled on the rod. The only thing at the end of the line was a sad silver hook. No sign of the bait that I'd placed on it. We'd been living on the 22nd floor for 10 days. I'd removed my two-handed sword skill from its slot, I hadn't touched it since a long-past period of experimentation, and set 
fishing in its place to catch our food. So much for being an angler. And living off the land, I'd barely caught a thing. My proficiency was more than 600, so while I wouldn't be catching any whopping tuna, you'd figure something would bite. Instead, I watched. The pail of bait I'd bought at the village slowly run empty. This is a waste of time, I muttered, tossing the rod aside, and rolling over. The breeze off the lake was chilly, but the thick overcoat Asuna knitted me with her tailoring skill was nice, and warm. She was working on her skill, just as I was, so it wasn't up to store-bought quality, but it got the job done. It was the month of Cyprus in Ancrad, November in the real world. Winter was close at hand, but the season shouldn't have an effect on fishing here. I supposed that I'd used up all my luck. Snagging my lovely wife. I rolled over, unable to hide the shameless grin this train of thought produced, when I suddenly heard a voice from overhead. Are they biting? I lurched upward with a start to see a man standing over me. He was wearing a heavy coat and a cap with ear flaps, and he carried a fishing rod, just like me. The real surprise was the man's age. He had to be in his fifties, at least. The lines of old age were carved into the face behind the wire rim glasses. It was extremely rare to find such an elderly person in the midst of a game populated by hardcore players. In fact, I'd never seen anyone as old as him. Unless I'm not an NPC, he said, reading my mind. He made his way down the embankment. I, I am sorry, I was just really surprised. No, I don't blame you. I've got to be the oldest person in this thing, by a long shot. He laughed heartily, his solid body shaking. The man sat down next to me and pulled a bait box out of his waist pouch, fumbled with the pop-up menu, and attached the bait to his rod. Name's Nishida. I'm a fisherman here. Before this, I was head of network security for a company called Toto Broadband. Sorry. I can't give you my card. He laughed again. Ah. I had a feeling I knew why he was here. Toto Broadband was. A network management company partnered with Argus. They. Were responsible for the network lines leading to SAO servers. My name's Carito. I just moved down here from up above. Mr. Nishida, are you, involved in maintaining SAO's connections? I was the man in charge of that, yes. He nodded. I felt conflicted about this. He must have gotten trapped in this world just by doing his job. The bosses told me I didn't actually have to log in, but I'm the type who can't be satisfied unless I see my work with my own two eyes. Well, I sure paid a price for that one. He laughed again and cast his rod with magnificent expertise. This was a man who knew how to fish. Apparently he liked to talk, as he continued without waiting for a response. I believe there's about twenty or thirty other older fellas like me who got caught in something they shouldn't have. Most of them are biding their time down in that first town, but I just can't keep myself from a good day of fishing. He tugged on the rod. 
I've been on the search for good rivers and lakes, and that's what brought me all the way up here. I see, and there are no monsters on this floor. Nishida simply grinned at that statement. What's the word? Are there any good spots up higher? Hmm, the 61st floor is all lake, more like a sea, really. So I imagine there are big fish to catch there. Aha, uh -huh, I'll have to pay it a visit. Suddenly, his line jolted downward. Without missing a beat, Nishida tugged the rod up. Not only was he probably an adept fisherman in real life, but his fishing skill was likely through the roof. Whoa, it's a big un. I leaped to my feet in a hurry, but Nishida calmly spun his rod and yanked a large, sparkling blue fish out of the water. It flopped around at his feet, then disappeared as it was automatically transferred to his inventory. Nicely done. Nishida smiled shyly. Nah, it's all just a numbers game here, he said, scratching his head. The problem is, I can catch M, but not cook M. I'd love to have some good sashimi, but there's no point without any soy sauce. Uh, well. I hesitated. We'd moved down here to avoid attention, but I had a feeling this fellow was not interested in gossip. I feel like I might have something that'll get the job done. You don't say. Nishida's eyes flashed behind the lenses as he leaned forward. Asuna was initially alarmed when I came home with a guest, but she soon recovered and gave him a smile. Welcome home. Who is this? Ah, uh, this is Mr. Nishida, a fisherman. And I turned to Nishida, unsure of how to introduce Asuna. She stepped right in and gave the elderly man another smile. I'm Asuna, Karido's wife. Welcome to our home. She gave him a crisp bow. Nishida's mouth dropped as he stared at her. She was wearing a plain skirt, hemp shirt, an apron, and a scarf, a far cry from her. Gallant cob uniform, but beautiful all the same. He snapped back to his senses after several blinks. Oh, pardon me, I got lost for a moment there. My name is Nishida, and your hospitality is appreciated. He laughed and scratched his head. Asuna easily transformed Nishida's catch into dishes of sashimi and simmered fish. The scent of her fragrant soy sauce filled the room and Nishida's nostrils flared widely as he sucked in the air. It tasted less like freshwater fish than a fatty, seasonal, yellow tail. According to Nishida, this type of fish required a skill of more than 950 to catch, and we forewent conversation for a few minutes, choosing to savor the meal instead. Eventually, all the dishes were picked clean, and Nishida gave a deep sigh of satisfaction, cup of hot tea in hand. Ah, I needed that. Thank you for the meal. Never thought. I'd see soy sauce in this place. Oh, it's homemade. Please, take some. Asuna brought a small bottle out of the kitchen and handed it to Nishida. She wisely did not mention the ingredients. She smiled and thanked him in return for the fish. Caritos hardly brought me anything from the lake. I sipped my tea unhappily, the conversation's whipping boy.
The lakes around here are too hard to fish in. Oh, I disagree. The only really tough spot is the big one, the one you were trying this afternoon. Wah. Nishida had stunned me into silence. Asuna grabbed her stomach, chuckling softly. Why would they have programmed it that way? Well, the thing about that lake is, Nishida whispered conspiratorially. We leaned closer. That's where you'll find the big one. Big one, we repeated simultaneously. Nishida pushed his glasses up and flashed us a confident grin. At the tool shop in town, there's one type of bait that costs head and shoulders above the rest. I was curious, so I had the idea to try it out for myself. I swallowed. But I couldn't catch a thing with it. Tried it out all over the place, then it occurred to me that it was probably for the one lake. Tougher than all the others. And, did you catch something? I got a bite. He nodded, then looked disappointed. But I couldn't haul it in. Took my rod with him. I caught a glimpse of it, and it was bigger than big. No doubt about it, that thing is a monster, in its own right. He extended his arms, to indicate its size. Now I understood, why Nishida had simply grinned at me, when I told him there. Were no monsters on this floor. Wow, I want to see it. Asuna said, her eyes sparkling. Nishida turned to give me an inquisitive look. You confident in your strength stat, Kirito? Uh, well, confident enough. Then why not join me? I'll do everything to get a bite, and you can handle the heavy lifting. Ah, uh, you want to use the switch tactic with the fishing rod? Is that even possible? I wondered. Let's do it, Kirito. This sounds fun. Asuna bubbled, excitement in her eyes. She was always ready to try something new. I couldn't deny that my curiosity was piqued as well. Shall we? I asked. Nishida beamed widely and laughed. That's the spirit. That night, Asuna wriggled into my bed, complaining about the cold. Once we were fully nestled together, she finally gave a contented sigh. My wife blinked her eyes sleepily, then smiled, remembering something. I guess there really are all types here. He was a jolly guy, wasn't he? Yeah. We giggled for a few moments, then stifled it. I've been fighting up above for so long, I completely forgot. That there are still people trying to lead normal lives, I muttered. I'm not saying that we're special or anything, but I think. Being a high enough level to fight on the frontier means that we. Have a responsibility to them. I've never thought of it that way, I always prioritized getting stronger for my own personal survival, nothing more. I think there are plenty of people putting their hope in you, Carito. Including me. Hearing that just makes me want to run away. Oh, geez. I brushed her hair as she pouted, and inwardly prayed that this life would continue just a bit longer. Sooner or later, we'd have to return to the front line, for the sake of Nishida and all the other players. But just for now, Agile and Klein had sent messages warning us of the difficulties in clearing the 75th floor. But in all honesty, my life here 
with Asuna was the most important thing to me. 19. Three days later, Nishida sent me a morning notice that he was ready to catch the big one. Apparently he went around to rally up all of his fishing buddies, and we'd have an audience of about 30 for the attempt. Yikes. What do you want to do, Asuna? Hmm. Frankly speaking, his arrangement wasn't exactly welcome. I'd chosen this place specifically to avoid intel dealers and Asuna's crazed fans, so appearing in front of a small crowd was the last thing I wanted. How about this? She tied up her long chestnut hair and wrapped her long scarf up high around her face. After a bit of menu manipulation, she was covered in a big, frumpy overcoat as well. Who, nice, you look like a tired old farmer's wife. Was that meant to be a compliment? Of course. I'll probably be fine as long as I don't bring my equipment. Asuna and I left the house before lunch, lugging a picnic BAS cat. We could have just left the stuff in our inventory and materialized it when we got there, but this seemed to make for a better disguise. It was a warm day for the season. After a lengthy walk through the towering pine trees of the forest, the glistening lake surface could be seen through the branches. There was already a crowd at the shore. As I approached, feeling nervous, I soon recognized the squat figure and distinctive laugh of one of the men. Wahaha. Nice, clear day. Nice to see you, Mr. Nishida. Asuna and I bowed. The crowd, a gathering with a wide range of ages, was Nishida's fishing guild. We hesitantly greeted the group, but fortunately no one seemed to recognize Asuna. What surprised me was how proactive the old man was, he must have been an excellent boss. They'd apparently been doing an impromptu fishing competition before we got there, and the group was in an excited mood. Well then, I think it's time for today's main event. Nishida announced in a loud voice, a long fishing pole in one hand. I gazed at the large rod and its thick line, following it until I realized, with a start, what was hanging on the end. It was a lizard. An extremely large one, about the size of an adult's forearm, venomous-looking red and black patterns. Crossed its hide, and its wet surface suggested freshness. You. Asuna was late to notice the creature and stumbled back several steps, a grimace on her face. If this was the bait, there could be only one thing to catch. But before I could even interject a comment, Nishida turned to the lake and held the fishing rod high. He swung it forward with an audible whoosh, his form impeccable, and the lizard flew through the air to land out in the lake with an admirable splash. Fishing in SAO involved virtually no waiting. Once you'd cast your line into the water, it was only a number of seconds until you either had a bite or the bait was lost. We held our breaths and watched the water. Eventually, the line twitched a few times. Nishida didn't budge. An inch. I, I think it's coming, Mr. Nishida. Nope, not yet. The normally pleasant old man was staring intensely at the 
line, his eyes burning behind the glasses. He took in every minute. Vibration at the end of his rod. The end suddenly bowed much harder. Now. Nishida bent backward sharply, pulling the rod with his entire body. Even from the side, it was clear the line was absolutely taut, a loud twang for all to hear. I've got a bite. It's all up to you now. He handed me the rod, and I gave it a hesitant yank. It didn't. Budge. I might as well have been pulling on solid ground. Just as. I began wondering if this was an actual bite and turned to look at. Nishida. The line tugged downward with incredible force. Whoa. I dug both feet in hurriedly and pulled the rod back up. The physical force feedback the game ordinarily used was far weaker than what I was feeling now. I is it safe to pull with all I've got? I asked Nishida, concerned for the durability of the rod and line. They're the finest you can buy. Let a rip. His face was red with excitement. I regripped the handle and pulled with all my strength. The rod contorted into an upside-down U-shape. After a level up, players are given the choice to spend their points on either strength or agility. An axe warrior like Agile might choose strength every time, while Asuna would get better use out of her rapier with more agility. I split my points down the middle. As an orthodox swordsman, but when it came to personal preference, I leaned on the side of agility. Despite the lack of focus on strength, my level was apparently high enough to give me the advantage in this particular test. I dug my feet in and slowly backed up, steadily pulling the unseen quarry closer and closer to the surface. Oh. I saw it. Asuna jumped up and pointed over the water. I was well clear of the shoreline and leaning backward, so I was in no position to take a closer look. The other onlookers murmured and rushed to the water's edge, peering down into the water, which grew exponentially deeper away from the shore. I finally gave in to my CU Ryosity and summoned all my strength to yank the rod upward. Suddenly, all the figures crowding around the water in front of me flinched. They all began to back up. What does it look, Lee? Before I could finish, they all turned around and ran, full. Speed. Asuna passed me on the left, Nishida on the right, there. Faces pale. When I turned back to call to them, the weight suddenly lifted from my hands, and I fell backward onto my rear end. Damn, the line snapped, I thought. I tossed the pole aside, and leaped to my feet to run to the water. The next moment, I saw the surface of the lake bulging upward, an enormous silver circle. Wah! I stood there, eyes and mouth gaping, until I heard Asuna's voice calling out from a distance. Carito, watch out! I turned and saw that Asuna, Nishida, and all the others had retreated to the bank above the shore a considerable length away. I heard an enormous splash behind me and finally realized the Gravity of the situation. An unpleasant foreboding itching at my skin, I turned around to the water again. The fish was standing. To be more accurate, the creature appeared to be more like a reptilian coelacanth, 
somewhere on the evolutionary link between fish and crocodile. Little waterfall spilled over its scales, and six massive legs crushed the grass on the shoreline as it peered down at me. Peered down. The full height of the thing was well over six feet. Its mouth was located just taller than my head, and it seemed made for swallowing cows whole. A familiar lizard leg poked out of the corner. There was a basketball size eye on either side of the ancient fish's head, and they looked into mine. A yellow cursor automedy cali appeared over the beast. Nishida had said that the big one in this lake was a monster. In its own right. There were no rights about it, this was a monster, through. And through. I took several steps backward, my smile twitching. Then I spun. Around and took off like a rabbit. The beast let out an earthshack ing roar, then barreled after me. I was practically flying through. The air, every last point of my agility in use, and in a few seconds I had reached the others and was ready to argue. THTH that's not fair. You can't run off without me. I don't think this is the right time for the blame game, Carido. I turned back to see the giant fish charging after us, its movement clumsy, but fast enough. It's running over the land, does it have lungs? Carido, this is no time for idle contemplation. We gotta. Scram, now Nishida was the one yelping in panic. Most of the crowd had frozen stock still, several of them collapsed on the ground. Do you have your weapons? Asuna asked, close to my ear. She had a point, it would be incredibly difficult to lead all these people to safety. Sorry, I don't. Oh, fine, then. Asuna shook her head, then turned to the giant-legged fish, which was nearly upon us. She opened her window with familiar ease. As Nishida and the other fishermen watched helplessly, Asuna ripped off her thick scarf and overcoat, her glimmering chestnut, hair rippling in the breeze. Underneath, the coat were a long green skirt and a plain hemp shirt, but her silver rapier sheath sparkled in the sun. Asuna drew her sword, proudly facing the oncoming monster. Next to me, Nishida finally realized what she was planning to do, and he grabbed my arm. Carito, your wife is in terrible danger. It's fine, let her handle this. Have you lost your senses? If you won't help her, I will. He snatched a fishing rod from one of his friends and was preparing to rush to her aid when I hurriedly stepped in to stop the elderly man. The giant fish maintained its speed and opened its gaping mouth to reveal countless fangs. As it bore down on Asuna, she turned to her side and thrust with her right hand like a fencer. The inside of the giant fish's mouth flashed with an explosive shock wave. The monster flew high up into the air, but Asuna's feet had barely budged. The sight of the monster itself was certainly intimidating, but my expectation was that its actual level was not very high. They wouldn't place a truly deadly monster down on such a low floor, and as part of an event dependent solely on your fishing skill, no less. If nothing else, SAO maintained a proper difficulty curve. 
Asuna's single blow had devastated the fish monster's HP bar. When it fell to earth with a deafening crash, she followed up with a speedy combination that lived up to her moniker.